Good evening, everybody out there in DPF land. Uh, welcome to season two, episode three. What the hell happened to the offseason? Question mark. Uh, also, welcome to six days to pitchers and catchers. Uh, we are all pretty stoked about that. Um, got a few plugs we'll do and uh, some intros, and then uh, we will get going on today's program. So um, for the first plug, we have a world exclusive announcement. I wish we had like a world exclusive uh, uh, kind of, you know, uh, say saying there or whatever I'm trying to say. But uh, world exclusive. This is the first time we've talked about this. Um, we are going to have on March 30th. So uh, second game of the season. Uh, we're in a partner DPF with no fly zone to offer an all you can eat and all you can drink tailgate everybody. So um, in the next couple of minutes, that link will be live on our website. Uh, check it out uh, either during our show here or after uh, we'll have barbecue uh, available. We'll have themed drinks, kegs on tap, jello shots and a live DJ and, and a bunch of games and, and uh, some fun shenanigans. Tickets will be 50 bucks. There's also a designator, designated driver option uh, for $30. All you can eat, food and drink only, soda and water included uh, with the designated driver ticket. Um, the event will kick off at noon on uh, Saturday, March 30th. And I believe that game is 4.05. So we'll be there for, for a good bit hanging out with, uh, with you all. Um, so world exclusive, 3.30 plan on uh, hanging out with the DPF crew uh, in lot N, I believe uh, currently is the plan. So yep. we're super excited about that. Um, check out our website, guys. Uh, everybody on the program has uh, some sort of swag on. Um, we've got a, the shop now button on our Facebook page. Um, all kinds of new and improved merchandise. We've been working really hard to get some, uh, you know, some, actual data and some um some of your guys opinions of the top fans and and we've really been rolling out a bunch of things hot now is the uh t-shirt i'm wearing uh for st patty's day only uh you know just about a month away here um also spring training shirts available and um we'll talk a little bit about our salute to service uh available as well um the tumbler is uh, is amazing. You can do hot or cold drinks in um, new hats. Uh, John's got the um, the winter hat on. What do you call that thing, John? The beanie. I call the it a beanie, beanie hat. hat. There you go. <laughs> uh, and I, uh, Chris and I, I think have the um, the uh, baseball hat on. I've been waiting for one of these for a long time. So check it out today. Um. So then our, our last thing before we get into the actual content tonight is don't forget about uh, DPF night at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, it's May 18th. Uh, no Fly Zone will be back with us uh, with that amazing tailgate. Um, the tickets for the uh, game are through the Phillies. Uh, remember to use code DPF2024. And they're selling like hotcakes, guys. Um, we have 300 and, over 330 sold now. Um and we'll be do donating part of, a portion of the proceeds of our Salute to Service t-shirts to our friends at Battle Brothers. And way more uh, uh, coming on Battle Brothers today because we got a friend uh, of, the, of the DPF crew now on uh, today to talk about Battle Brothers. Uh, we'll talk about that in a couple of seconds. 
So as many of you guys know, the evolution of the DPF garage over the past year has been epic, right? It's, uh, it's gone from a garage to um, what is now on some websites as uh, one of the best um, home garage places to watch any kind of sporting event. Um, it's an amazing place. Uh, we gather there uh, with, you know, kind of folks that think alike, uh, our Philly sports fans. It's an amazing place to watch a game, to make, a, you know, maybe to have a beer or eight or whatever. Um, cheers. And it's fun spot to, to do the podcast from. But if you guys are fans of the podcast, you might remember there have been some technical difficulties, right? So the Wi-Fi in the garage was struggling a little bit. So, um, you know, just let's suffice it to say that those issues have been totally squashed. The Wi-Fi is lightning fast. I was on guest Wi-Fi last time we did um, the the show. Chris was on the regular Wi-Fi, and the speed on the um, guest Wi-Fi was better than the uh, home internet at my house. So uh, this is all due to the prof professionalism and know-how of pensive technology. So the Drunk Phils fans are really proud to announce that uh, the DPF on tap uh, podcast is now brought to you by Pensive Technology. Check them out on Facebook at Pensive at Pensive Technology for all your Wi-Fi, networking, TV mounting, and camera system needs. So um, we're really we're really excited to have Pensive on board as a partner. I know Chris is really excited because um, it really lowered his blood pressure as far as um, <laughs> yeah. And to make it easier, uh, who I, you know the the owner of Pensive is Chris. So we've got a bunch of Chris's here. It's Chris Pensive. He's got you. You don't have to remember a lot. Chris. You're, you could call me Chris, too. My last name's Christy, so it doesn't That's matter. <laughs> so um, we're going to get into it, guys. Uh, you might notice, uh, those of you that are on the live broadcast, but those of you that are listening or li will listen later, uh, we have a fifth face on the screen here. Uh, today, we've got a really special guest on On Tap. Uh, Brian Buckley is joining us today all the way from California near San Diego. So everybody uh, say hey to Brian. Um, I'm going to give you a little intro, Brian, and then uh, we'll, we'll kick it over to you. So Brian is a PA guy, even though he lives in California. Couldn't live further away from Pennsylvania, but, um, you know, he's still a PA guy. He went to Central Bucks West at the end of the 90s. Uh, Brian was a three-year starter for Mike Pettin's CB West uh, football team that went 40-1 and one while he was there. Um, Brian was wondering, like, couldn't finish the sweep of, of your career there? Like, what's going uh, on? Damn, it's White Marsh, man. They got in the way back in 96. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. So, Brian and his team, uh, he was, he was uh, you know, they were they – were, Super, uh, obviously impressive at 41. They won three league titles, two district titles, and two state championships in his tenure as team captain. Uh, uh, Brian also picked up all conference and all state honors. Um, Brian then went on to play fullback at a little school called the University of Massachusetts. But uh, after the events of 9-11, he chose to transfer back home closer and uh, graduated from Villanova in 2004. Uh, after that graduation, he received a Marine Corps commission. Uh, Brian served our country all around the world in the Marine Corps infantry, Marine reconnaissance, and as a Marine Raider. Uh, Brian owns his own business in California and is the founder and president of Battle Brothers Foundation. Uh, I'm going to let him tell you about uh, you know, his story and his amazing foundation here in a second. 
but the Battle Brothers Foundation is why we have Brian on today. So um, we here at DPF, we care deeply about giving back to the community. Uh, we love you guys. And um, when we found out that the May 18th DPF uh, group game at Citizens Bank Park was also Salute to Service Day, you know, we felt like we needed to do something to raise some funds and raise some awareness around veterans. Um, and that's when we turned to Brian and he was super gracious. And he said, yeah, man, let's partner up and do some good here. So uh, I'm going to try and shut up for a minute because I've been talking for a while and I'm going to kick it over to Brian and then uh, he'll give us a little breakdown of, you know, kind of his journey and and what uh, Battle Brothers Foundation is all about. And then we'll have an opportunity both through the chat and for us on uh, on the call here live uh, or on the show here live to ask him some questions. So without further ado, Brian, the floor is yours, my friend. Welcome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. And thank you to the DPF crew. I am extremely excited about this opportunity you guys presented of partnering up on the May 18th salute to service night. Uh, I think it's gonna be a great thing. You guys are killing it already with the uh, ticket sales. And I know tailgates good, amazing, a lot more things and working on a couple of things. I've been talking to Mike with that. We're going to try to enhance the experience as well. So really looking forward to that um, event, but yeah, as uh, as Mike brought in, uh, you know, I grew up in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, and played, I guess, at the uh, maybe the height of the Roman Empire at CB West uh, when uh, Coach Patton won, uh, I think, what three in a row state titles and then retired. Um, so, you know, many of you know, back in that area, back in that time, you know, for me, that's all you wanted to do was to play football. So that was my entire kind of just focus uh, was how could I start at CB West? That's all I thought about from a six year old all the way through, and. And obviously, we had some great success. We lost one game my sophomore year in 96 to Plymouth White Marsh in the first round of the playoffs, which is probably the game I most vividly remember from my time there. Uh, that was a tough one, but really good Plymouth White Marsh team. And uh, I believe Downingtown that year actually went to go win the state title. So District 1 back then was just if you made out District 1, you had a pretty good chance of sailing through the states and uh, getting yourself a title. It's just that competitive in that area. Um, but uh, as we talked about, went to University of Massachusetts and I was playing football up there, woke up one sun, uh, one morning in September and I was living with about four other uh, football players in my apartment and turned on TV. And that's when you saw one of the World Trade Towers was on fire. And I remember my initial thought was I didn't think 1993 was that bad the first time Al Qaeda tried to blow up the uh, trade tower. And I got a call from another uh, local legend of the Doylestown area, a guy named uh, Dave Armstrong, who was uh, named the Pennsylvania Football Player of the Year in 1997. He was playing ball at Michigan. He gave me a call, and it, it just wasn't making much sense. I'm like, I, he was upset, didn't really, didn't really know what was happening, and then ultimately saw the second plane hit the tower. And I think for our generation, that's when we all lost our innocence. Uh, it was kind of a weird day on campus. Um, some of the classes were happening, some weren't. Uh, we had football practice that day, so I went down to the football compound. Uh, in our locker room, we had three big screen TVs and the cubby lockers, and just everyone was watching the TV. And this is where I aged myself. Cell phones weren't what they were then, what they are now. And I think we had about a dozen guys from like the New York City area on our team, so you can imagine where they were. I mean, they couldn't get a hold of anyone, so... Jumped up on a table to get uh, my ankles taped up. Uh, my nickname's Buck. So my trainer just looked at me. He goes, Buck, I don't think we're going to tape up today. All right. Went out, just sat in the locker room. Coaches came in, talked it through, decided not to practice. And uh, we called it a day. 
and we all head back to our apartment and we grabbed a couple of cases of beer and just like everyone else, we were just kind of stuck on CNN. And that's when you start seeing people throwing themselves out of the buildings. And I just started thinking, I'm like, how bad of a situation are these people in where they're thinking this is their best opportunity? Um, and there was one woman in particular when she jumped out, she actually like held down her dress. And it just, you know, she knew what was going to happen. She knew what the outcome was going to be, but she was doing this on her own terms and doing it with dignity. And it just kind of spoke to me like that. That's America. And I know it sounds really corny and everything, but, you know, I got up, went to the bathroom. I looked at myself in the mirror and just said, it's time for me to go earn my citizenship. And then I received word from a you know, great friend of mine, Eric Mayers, uh, his brother, Noel, was um, he talked to him. Noel was on the ground at one point. And then from what I understood, he was going to look for a secretary, went back into the tower and we, we never saw Noel again. So just seeing what um, he was going through, <clears throat> I just said, well, that, that's this, that's it. We got to get involved. So I just kept it pretty quiet at that point, finished out the season. I was playing a lot as a fullback, uh, believe it or not, I was like 235 at one point in my life. And, um, you know, when the season was over, kind of talked to my parents and we started kind of getting the process going of uh, where I was going to end up going to school and how was I going to accomplish this goal of getting into the military. I uh, talked to my friend, Joel Starsman, who was uh, another CB West grad currently at the Naval Academy. And I was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing the Naval Academy. And he's like, no, nah, it's great, but you got to start over as a freshman. And I'm thinking, oh, I might miss the war. Stupid me, right? I mean, that thing went on for like over 20 years. So we <laughs> talked about Villanova, and he's like, listen, Villanova behind the Naval Academy has the most admirals and generals in the Navy and Marine Corps. And it's just an outstanding program. So decided to take a shot there and got accepted to Villanova. And originally I went there and I wanted to fly planes for the Navy. And they had an outstanding gunnery sergeant there as one of our instructors. He was a Marine, a force recon Marine, uh, drill instructor, all that stuff. And he pulled me aside and he's like, you want to fly for the Navy? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And he's like, that's really lame. And I'm like, OK. And, you know, this guy was pretty intimidating. So I was just like, you know, what do you want me to do? Paint a wall. I'll do it right now. And he's like, listen, you need to get into the Marine Corps and you need to be on the ground fighting. And that's when we started making the path of going into uh, the reconnaissance realm. So once I graduated, I had to go down to Quantico, do a couple courses. I was put into the infantry, conducted a deployment to Iraq, uh, Fallujah in particular, uh, in 2006. When I returned from that, you're supposed to stay in the infantry for a couple of years, but they said, hey, you had a good run. Why don't you go try out for a Marine reconnaissance? I said, okay, that sounds good. Tried out, made it. Six months later, I'm right back in Iraq again, now operating in the entire Al-Anbar uh, uh, Providence, which is the western part of um, Iraq, which has, you know, if you guys remember some of the nasty cities like Fallujah, Ramadi and stuff like that, the Triangle of Death. And when I returned from that deployment, we just as a Marine Corps got into Special Operation Commander SOCOM and we started a unit called the Marine Raiders. And they said, why don't you go try to take selection? And, you know, no problem. I was a senior first lieutenant at this point, uh, trained for about six months. Uh, that was six days a week, two days I was doing, getting eight hours of sleep. I mean, I was pretty uh, primed up for that. And, you know, a good amount of us, about 300 and some of us went in there. And I think about 20, 25 of us made it out. And I was fortunate enough to be one of the 25 that got selected. And from there on out, they made me a team commander. And that's where I spent a majority of my career in the, in the military as a team, team commander, special operations uh, unit. And we conducted deployments into uh, Africa, uh, Southeast, East Asia 
and uh, Afghanistan, in particular, the Helmand province. Um, some of you may have remembered the Helmand or heard about it. It was by far the most volatile area in Afghanistan. It is located in the southwest part of Afghanistan and backs right up onto Pakistan. And they have this huge river valley that goes through called the Helmand River. And what will happen is the Taliban during the wintertime will go down to Pakistan. They hang out. No one's going to mess with them. And then springtime, they come back up and they tell all the farmers to throw out poppy. They grow the poppy. They cultivate into heroin. Then they sell it. And that's how the Taliban will basically fuel their insurgency. So essentially, it was their big uh, piggy bank, if you will. And the Helmand was very just interesting terrain. Uh, you know, when you talk about Afghanistan, probably people are thinking about mountains and rugged terrain. Well, this was like a triple canopy jungle. Um, you know, you'd be in this place fighting and you were looking up at these mountains with snow caps on them. It was a very backwards world. And ironically, too, at times, it almost reminded you of like Bucks County, uh, just like the farmlands. I can remember moving at night one time and a summer storm was coming in and just felt like being back in Pennsylvania. I kind of had to like get my head back in the game. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa you're you're in Hellman, you're not in Doylestown, so let's let's focus here. Um, and it was it was a it really it was a very bloody summer for special operation forces. Uh, what we were told it was the bloodiest summer since the Vietnam War. Uh, other uh, special operation units like Green Berets and the SEALs, um, they're having a tough go along with uh, some of the other Raiders. And the way we set things up, we had um, special operation units doing build stability platforms where they would get fully bearded up, dressed in local uh, dress, and they would do everything from building a well in this territory to help standing up a police force and everything in between. And it was basically a chance to provide them security and the ability to start up their own local economy so they can kind of live on their own. My team was the commando team, and I was uh, in charge of the 7th Afghan Special Operations Battalion. So I had 777 Afghan commandos and special forces, uh, four dogs. I had 18 United States logistical training team members, and I had a combination of uh, 15 Marine sailors and uh, airmen uh, and an Army uh, gentleman on our uh, team at that time. And what we would do is we would go after high value Taliban targets. So in the middle of the night, we would be in black helicopters. Um, the unit that would put us in there was the 160th, which you ever saw Black Hawk down. It was those pilots. Uh, and they would put us in there and we would conduct uh, surgical raids on uh, Taliban commanders. Or we would go into an area where we had build stability platforms, take the fight to the Taliban and give the BSPs a little option to, you know, maybe set up another checkpoint or something, just kind of give them some breathing room, look at like a lead blocker, essentially. And during that deployment, I was wounded. Um, we were conducting a mission in this area called Kaligas, uh, which essentially turned in, it was the Taliban capital for Helmand. Uh, when we were flying in, we came in under fire. Uh, I remember coming off the helicopter and I actually slipped and I looked down the side of it. I remember the pilot had his rifle out and he was shooting. And then I'm getting calls from the uh, AC-130 above me saying my call sign was Copperhead. He's like, Copperhead, you have Taliban all over you guys. And uh, instantly we had to start bringing some air and doing what we had to do and then uh, prosecute the rape site and went through and had that pretty successful. But I just knew that was going to be one of those missions where we were going to be earning our stories on it. And uh Essentially, for the next uh, 48 hours or so, we were trading casualties back and forth. Um, they were getting us, we were getting them, and so on, so on. And just um, one day where I was in a fighting position, I was talking to my corpsman, and it was just a really hot, 
July day in Afghanistan. I mean, it was like 100 degrees with 110% humidity and just everything you guys can imagine, like in August back there in Philly. And I looked at him, I was like, man, I could go for an ice cold Coke. And as I said that, I heard a grenade fly right by my head, sound like a fly ball going by. And I knew at that moment they, they got me. Um, I mean, obviously it was a split second, but bang, this thing went off. Uh, sent shrapnel all throughout the left side of my body up into the left far, uh, part of my head. Uh, my one corpsman, uh, he lost part of his tricep. And one of our dog handlers, the uh, shrapnel went underneath his body armor into his stomach. So he went down right away. And it was at this point, uh, just a hellacious firefight broke out. I can tell people I know definitely what it's like to be in a popcorn machine because the earth underneath me was just popping up with the uh, with small arm rounds bouncing around me. Um, rocket propelled grenades were coming at us. Um, we had mortars and all this stuff. And I like how one of the guys put it. You know, again, it's like a very dense kind of jungle area. And the guys, like, it looked like giants had their hands on the trees and were shaking it of how much uh, rounds were coming at us. So I, uh, we moved into a kind of position to cover. I had to call my higher command, the Special Operation Task Force. There is a certain word I would say to them that means I'm about to get overran and I need some help. So I said that word, started bringing aircraft. And that's when I had to start giving out uh, our casualty reports. I need to get some of the guys out of there right away. And what you have to do at that point is you give a missed report. It's mechanism, injury, signs, symptoms, and treatment. And then you give a battle roster number. So your battle roster number would be the first two letters of your last name and your last four of your social security number. So I go through, I do Joey's, I go back, I'm doing Max's. Now it's time for me to do my own. So I'm just kind of looking at my body and saying like, all right, well, this is happening. This is happening. And um, at the end, I had to give my battle roster number. So I gave it and you just heard everything go dead silent on the radio. And they come back and they're like, say again. So I gave it to them again. And they're like, say that again. I'm like, hey, boys, it's me. I'm shot. I'm in the fight. I just need some help. And they're like, all right, we got it. And um, we started just kind of moving the enemy into an area we wanted to get them in. We brought in some uh, F-16s. You hear the worst things you, you hear on the ground when they said weapons malfunction, weapons malfunction, meaning their computer went on the fritz and they couldn't drop a bomb. So drop, moved them out of our uh, air stack, brought in a daytime AC-130. And I started just dropping a ton of these Griffin missiles, our GPS-guided missiles, um, on top of all the uh, Taliban members. And uh, proud to say we eliminated them all. So they started the fight, but uh, we ended it. And this is when, feel free to laugh at this part, because it does kind of get comical. Like, one of the guys was telling me the best part was when I looked at him and I said, hey, man, get next to me and listen to what I'm saying. Because I've never been shot before, and I don't know if I'm going to fall over and piss myself and forget who I am for 30 minutes, but we got to keep the fight going. And he just smiled at me like, all right, let's, let's do this. Let's do it. As we're getting out of there, you know, I have a big – I have a tourniquet on my left leg, and, you know, the back of my leg looked like a rooster tail is flying out with, it, with all the blood, and I'm kind of hobbling out. And I put my hand on the wall and the wall collapses. And then next thing you know, all these bees or hornets come out. So they start stinging me. You gotta be kidding me. So then we climb up, like I get on the helicopter. Now the fun meter's pegged. And the one uh, Air Force PJ just kind of looked at me with a needle. He's like, hey, bro, I got you. And I'm like, whatever that is, give it to me. Like, I I'm just, I'm done with this. So he shoots me up with ketamine. And now I'm kind of loopy. You get me off the aircraft. And again, I have this big chunk of metal on the side of my head. So getting me off, they're pulling me into a CAT scan. And um, it was a British nurse comes in and she's like, I need to talk to Captain Buckley alone. And so everyone walks out 
And she goes, do you have HIV or AIDS? And I'm like, no. And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, just got tested like a couple months ago. I'm clean. And she's like, all right, we got to give you an HIV test because the nurse, he sliced his hand open on your shrapnel and you guys bled into each other. And I'm like, okay, great. So now they're rolling me in for surgery. And the doctor looks at my left leg and he's like, hey, man, that's not looking too good. I might have to take that. And I'm like, okay, I've been shot. I've been stung. I'm getting tested for AIDS. And now you're talking about taking my left leg. I had enough. And I'm like, listen back. You take my left leg. When I wake up, I'm going to beat you to death with it. And he's like, all right. Happy thoughts, you know, and he just kind of put the, uh, the gas on me and away I went. And uh, woke up. Everything was still there. Um, they were getting ready to move Max and Joey uh, over to Kandahar, then up to Germany, and then back over to America. And they wanted to put me on it. And luckily, my surgeon was a former Army Ranger. And he looked at me. He goes, what do you want to do? I'm like, what are my options? And he's like, well, they want to send you home, but you're my patient. If you want to stay, I'll keep you. And I'm like, then I'm staying. And he goes, I figured you're going to say that. And he's like, we're keeping Captain Buckley. People got upset. He goes, I don't care. I'm his doctor. My call. And they did two more surgeries in the next 72 hours. And just, um, you know, a testament to the amazing medical staff that they had over there with the doctors and nurses. I was back out in raids six days later. I didn't miss a single mission. Uh, so they definitely put Humpty, uh, Humpty Dumpty back together again. Um, and, you know, a lot more things happened, but to kind of bring it into the Battle Brothers, it was in 2016, I just started noticing veterans weren't getting a lot of support. And I wanted to do something about it. So I started up this thing called Battle Brothers Foundation. And I developed a three-tier approach of personal, medical, and economic so we help out an active duty member, help them transition. They basically match up with our battle brother, think of like a big brother, big sister network, just someone to call to because transitioning out of the military is very difficult and people don't realize that. On the medical side, we help out VA disability claims and make sure the veteran and their family are getting the rating they should. Uh, if a veteran's suffering with alcohol, opiates, PTS, all the above, we can send them to treatment centers around the country free of charge. And we're talking like some high end ones where it's a you know, good time for them to take a knee and kind of recalibrate and get out into the fight. And then the economic phase is we do job placement. So we help find a veteran, a job that's meaningful for them, not just something that'll pay the bills, but something that provides them purpose with the hopes they won't make a mistake they can't come back from. And during that, again, guys, body still shrapnel in it. I'm in pain. I can't sleep at night. And that's when uh, someone introduced me to medical cannabis. I tried it. It worked. It kept working. I went, decided to go, you know, I can go down to the VA, get 15 pills like that. Why can't I get this? That's doing everything I need. So flew out to Washington, had a meeting with a couple of members of the United States Congress. And I said, what do you guys need to get this into the VA? And they said, go get that in American doctors. You'll have an argument. So with Battle Brothers, we partnered up with a firm out of Israel called Niamedic Healthcare Research Services and the University of California at Irvine. And we were approved for uh, an FDA study called an Institutional Review Board, meaning we're able to uh, conduct human trials and we're going to see if medical cannabis can reduce the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Uh, we're de developing a formulation or protocol. We're going to move it into an additional state. Congress will give me a platform where I can raise my right hand, say, there's your data, there's your American doctors. Can we proceed with FDA double blinds? And the end state is to get our medical product into the VA, thus making medical cannabis federally legal. And this has just become a passion of mine. And by far, my professional life, this is the most important mission I've ever been on. So I've talked forever. So let me turn it back <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> well, we really appreciate it, man. And, and uh, I know 
you know, I've thanked you for your service, but in the, in the um, comments, there's three or four or five, maybe uh, that, that say, Hey, thanks Brian for your service and welcome to DPF land. Nice. Um, also a Semper Fi. Right on. Scott. Nice. Um, very proud of DPF for doing uh, this outside tribute to service. So <laughs> I, I clicked and then you click, Chris. Go oh, ahead. okay. Back yeah. on. All right. <laughs> uh, there it goes. Uh, between old heads like me and our veterans, most forgotten people in the world do your service, then um, screw you nothing, uh, not, then nothing. So it, just, a, just, a really, um, just a really great kind of welcome for you. Um, also, uh, you know, welcome and fuck the Mets. So uh, that is that. That's always that. good. <laughs> Always fuck the Mets. Um, I don't see any questions on the chat. So if uh, anyone that's listening has a question for Brian, please fire away. But um, I have a few boys. Do you have any before I go? Yeah. So, Brian, thanks for coming on. Uh, the story is, you know, awesome. I appreciate, you know, and thank you for your service. The, the one thing I have to ask is, like, why are we not supporting the people that allow us to be free? <laughs> once they get out what's the issue why are we doing this like well why does there need to be a battle brothers and why is yeah you know right like that's it's it's terrible it's a great question and you know i'm gonna be very truthful with you guys and sometimes you you don't want to hear what you you realize but spent a lot of time in dc uh first and foremost i see people get revved up about democrats and republicans guys are on the same team and we're just not part of it george carlin was way beyond his years with that and honestly we're not a really hot topic issue for our politicians Uh, if you look at how congress is they're getting elected every two years you know senate six years but they're trying to find something that's a hot issue get their sound bites off and try to get reelected. and not enough people really make a lot of noise about the veterans not getting the support that we need um you know one alarming stat is if you boston university did this back in 2021 So I'm sure, unfortunately, the numbers are greater now. But during the global war on terrorism, let's just say Iraq, Afghanistan specifically, there was 7,070 men and women died on the battlefield. During that same period, you have nearly 31,000 veterans have committed suicide back here in America. So in theory, I'm at more of a risk being here on this podcast with you guys than I would be patrolling the streets of Fallujah, walking the deserts of Africa or operating in the, in the Hellman province. And it's just something that keeps happening in my Raider community. We've lost about six guys over the past about 22 months now, uh, guys who've been out of the military for a while as well. And no sign symptoms or anything like that. Great family life. Everything was good. They just one day their demon got them and they, um, they lost uh, to it. And unfortunately we lost them. Um, just people just don't care and don't make enough noise. And politicians really don't get elected by people. They get elected by money. And they're going to go towards those hot issues that are kind of big in pop culture, essentially. I got a couple more here. Um, so you will definitely meet Alex uh, at the tailgate. Um, nice. But, and I did not know that she came from a military family. And I've talked to her, I don't know, 100 times. So uh, thanks for what you're doing. Uh, what an incredible thing you're doing as a military family. I thank you. Um, do you know Eric? So Eric said, thanks, guys, yep. for having Buck on. <laughs> so Eric says, "Hey, great guy." Uh, 
and Matt Den Denham. And yeah, he my, my the, old boss. Uh, there you go. He's seen the number balloon to forty a day. It was in the twenties five years ago. So this is uh, this is really important to talk about. Uh, it sounds like, and uh, you know, I've talked to you a few times now, Brian. We, I'm going to start calling you Buck. By the way, everybody keeps calling you Buck. Um, but I, you know, we'll we'll have to talk about and have you on more. But um, any other questions from the DPF guys before I throw a couple at Brian? Yeah one yeah. Uh, one quick question. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, John. Go uh, ahead. Go ahead. Um, I know. Uh, thank you for your incredible story, by the way, and uh, thank you for your service. Um, I just wanted um, for a lot of people out there, me included, because you see on commercials, movies, like TV shows, um, how they portray things. Uh, but I don't. I don't think a lot of people at home, and myself included, really understand how hard the transition to home is. Um, I mean. It's it's got to be way you know it's got to be way different than they portray right or do they they only yeah. get some of it right I would say yeah I, I think there there are absolutely some you know things get dramatized a little bit I think with Hollywood right. um, you know I think they kind of show the very absolute worst worst at times and mm -hmm. sometimes I'll be honest I think veterans almost think in their mind that's how they should be when they come back from that. And that's one of the things that Battle Brothers really tries to focus on is like, you're not broken. You're not a mistake. You're not messed up. You deserve to be here. Just because you're not in a uniform anymore doesn't mean you still can't serve your country. And if the man upstairs wanted you, he would have took you. You still got some living to do down here. So go make the most of it. That's great. Yeah, Brian. And again, I'll just reiterate, you know, thank you very much for your, your service. And that story was amazing. And, you know, you're you're a hero. We talk about baseball heroes on this podcast all the time, but but you guys are the real heroes um, and deserve all the praise. Um, just to go back to Battle Brothers, what you know, can you give us like one maybe what is the best success story that you've had since you started Battle Brothers? You know, either either someone that you've helped out and really seen a a, um, a dramatic change in them and were able to help them significantly to improve their their life uh, adapting back to civil civilized. Uh, life yeah yeah so the, the thing with battle brothers is it's not like you got to come in and start at point a to get to point z we just will customize it to meet the needs of that veteran so sometimes we got vets who are like hey i need to find some work or someone like i'm struggling i need to take a time out here whatever it may be we're going to make it work for you and uh my wife uh briar uh her best friend this girl named kelly they went to san diego state together her father harold burnett served in the u.s navy and he was what you would call Blue Water Navy. So he was on like the big ships. And, and during Agent Orange, he was definitely um, an agent. Vietnam War, he was definitely an Agent Orange casualty. Um, he, he's just really struggling. He has back fused a couple times, brain surgery, Parkinson's, just every, I mean, the guy who was so full of life, you know, sadly, he's just been kind of compressed down to a guy who's just more or less on his bed now. And the, he wasn't hundred percent disabled and the VA wouldn't recognize his agent orange since he was blue water Navy. They weren't going to recognize until like 2021. So this took place back in 2020. And I just said, listen, hundred percent is hundred percent. If you're there, I mean, they're going to give you everything that you need. And the guy was dealing with some demons and you know, he was not rated for post-traumatic stress. And I'm like, well, I think that might be the spot we try to focus on. And probably about six months of back and forth working with doctors and the VA, we got him up to hundred percent disability. 
And he woke up one day, had a large sum of money in his bank account. And he had people knocking on his door saying, we're here to refurbish your house. And by the way, here's a wheelchair that you probably need and all that stuff and totally changed his life around where before his morale was just getting bigger because he's like, I, I just can't believe people care about me and are actually doing something. But then when he saw the end results, he was blown away and his family pulled me aside and said, you know, Battle Brothers has given us another, another 10 years with our dad. So that's when you hear stuff like that, that's where I'm like, <clears throat> I don't care how much money I make in my life. That's why we do what we do. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's yep. No, that's question. awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, Brian, I do want to kind of mention, well, I guess three more things. One, you know, one of them being, you know, a lot of people that are watching this, they may be veterans and they don't know who to reach out to. Battle Brothers is one of those, you know, like you may not know. And like now there's someone to kind of reach out to. The second thing is, uh, if you go to the uh, battlebrothersfoundation.org, uh, let's say you're not going to the game, you're not going to 518, there's a Donate Today button on there. Um, you can make a difference. Uh, there's a Volunteer button on there, and there's also a Need Help. So any of those three things you can do right now uh, from, from your home. Uh, and the next thing is kind of just talking about, uh, you know, the shirts and... Once we realized that uh, 518 was salute to service and kind of Mike uh, was like, what about Battle Brothers? And he kind of talked to me about it. I says, this is a no brainer. Like, let's make this happen. So um, get the shirts. Uh, portion of the proceeds are going to go directly to Battle Brothers in the name of Drunk Phil's fans. But you're going to be a part of that. So, um, again, Brian, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, I'm, I think that we can help a lot of people together. Absolutely. That's great. Let me just double check some, um, Scott. So we met Scott at the, uh, DPF beer exchange where we did another, uh, couple of charity events. Uh, he did three tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, only lost, lost 10 overseas, 14 so far at home. So Scott, um, write down that website of battlebrothersfoundation.org and, and hand it out to as many folks as you can so brian and his crew can can help them out i think i'm just gonna pretty much we've touched on all my questions except one brian so i'm gonna tee you up on one more thing that i didn't talk to you about and uh then we'll uh we'll say hey you can go back to whatever you got to do or you can comment on the rest of the philly stuff we talked about if you like philly sports today boys that's that's part of the enticement of coming here all right fantastic so i just wanted to tee you up a little bit and and see um if you wanted to talk about the uh inaugural veterans heroes ball yes thank you very much so um you know, guys, we're putting together an event out here in San Diego at the University Club. So like really nice high end area. And it's called the Veterans Hero Ball. And it's just not a way to celebrate our veterans, but we also want to celebrate the great American patriots that take care of our veterans. Um, you know, you guys keep saying I'm a hero. I look at you guys as a hero because now we need you guys. Um, so this is going to be a great event. You can check us out on um, we'll have stuff on social media. All this stuff will definitely get in your face. I'll, I'll hand it off to the DPF guys that maybe they can make a quick round. Um, but it's going to be kind of a black tie event. We're going to have some great uh, auction items. Like one's like a trip to Thailand at a five-star resort. I mean, some really high-end things here we can do. Um, 
and again, if you can't make it there physically, you are provide the ability to sponsor a veteran. Uh, so you could pay for a veteran's ticket and their spouse and they can come and listen like free food, free booze, valet park and all that good stuff. Um, and it's a great event where we're going to be able to introduce what we're doing on the medical cannabis side to some people who maybe need a little bit more education on it. Um, as you guys kind of see the shift in like America, it's becoming a lot more accepting and you're really seeing a lot of positive things for veterans uh, with the cannabis and even on the psychedelic side uh, and some athletes have obviously come out and talked about it. So it's definitely we're a, a trailblazers, but that's exactly where I want to be. I want to be uncomfortable. And that's why I know we're going to be successful because I can go to Congress and I've done it where I looked them in the face and said, you sent me to war. Now it's your turn to fix me. And they don't really have much to fight back on that one. But they're not going to do it. We're going to have to be ones that prove data-driven results via American doctors so we can get this done. And it's going to help save lives of veterans. I'm 100% certain of that. Awesome. Awesome. I, I bumped into that, so I wanted to make sure that you were able to plug it. Um, just two more from Scott. Um, if there are any vets looking for more local Camp Freedom in Carbondale, Pennsylvania, they helped me through tough times and they do outdoor events for vets. So uh, please share the, the Camp Freedom around everybody on DPF and then uh, he'll definitely pass out uh, Battle Brothers to his uh, vet community. So that's that's fantastic. Oh, hey, Brian, you. Brian, really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, chime in anytime. We'll, yeah. uh, we're going to go uh, move through the rest of the um, agenda, but uh, it was awesome uh, for you to come out, and, and I really appreciate it. I know the rest of the guys do here yeah, as well. Thank you. I appreciate you all, and again, you know, no need to thank me for my service. Um, thank you for allowing me to serve. It was uh, obviously a, I got to jump out of planes and blow things up, up guys. It really wasn't that bad, but so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so he said guys he said that to me the other day and i didn't know i had no idea buck that you were wounded and meanwhile he was wounded and he still says that so it says a lot about you buck yep well i'm gonna do uh something silly called the oh dumbass of the week so uh, for for brian maybe you, you you might not know about the oh dumbass of the week um uh, and for the for any new viewers i kind of like to go through the origination of this so um we had a player on the phillies called odubel herrera odubel herrera uh did a lot of dumb stuff he broke in on fly balls that were behind him he broke back on fly balls that were um in front of him he got picked off a lot he swung at a lot of bad pitches maybe not as much as uh nicky three buttons but he still was ahead of his time uh, in that category. And so a friend of mine, uh, Freddie Love, and I started calling him, oh, dumbass. And when we started doing this, uh, we decided that uh, this would be kind of a weekly or a, um, uh, every time we did a broadcast kind of segment. And so uh, the oh, dumbass of the week this week comes to us from Polk County, Florida. I know that might uh, not shock some of you, Surprise. but it has, been, it has been a minute since uh, we've had one from Florida. Uh, but Odds are, you know, that uh, Florida man will pop up now and again. So we'll call this oh dumbass Bobby. Bobby had warrants for his arrest for aggravated battery, false imprisonment, and tampering. So um, good old uh, deputy, or sorry, deputy Judd, or sorry, the sheriff Judd sent out his deputies uh, to his last known address, right? So they're kind of staking out that address. And uh, finally, uh, they're, they're they're looking around and there's a dry erase board on the front window that read Bobby O'Dumbass does not live here. 
And there's a picture of it on the Polk County Instagram page with the guy's actual name. Um, so you can go look on it. And the caption says, gee, a dry erase board never lied to us before. Should we believe it? Um, they did not believe it. They stuck around and uh, still was, were kind of uh, you know doing surveillance on the place. Um, to see what they might find out. And uh, finally, someone came out of the building and they questioned that person. And that person was more than happy to drop a dime on Bobby being inside the house. So um, after about an hour of, uh, you know, calling Bobby out uh, of the residence, the police, they, they got a little, um, they got a little tired of that. So they employed what they now call uh, surrender smoke. Can any of you guys on the call, or on the on the podcast, can you tell me what you think surrender smoke is? Tear gas. Yeah. So, oh, bomb, yeah. so for all of us that are Gen Xers or older, that's called tear gas. Well, yeah. now they call it surrender smoke. Uh, four people. Everything's came... so gentle these days. Huh? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Be... Safe put space your, smoke. Put on your gloves <laughs> and your, you know, your earmuffs and send in the the surrender yeah. smoke. It's, so, it's now the it's, it's now the police come outside vapor. <laughs> exactly. So uh, four people came running out of the house, but uh, no Bobby O dumbass. So uh, they detained these four people and uh, they threw a little more surrender smoke in. Uh, still nothing. So when that cleared out, they um, went in with the K nine unit, and uh, Bobby O dumbass was found in a modified clothes dresser uh, hiding. So. <laughs> Uh, Bobby was taken to jail and as a bonus, so bonus, oh, dumbass of the week, the four of his uh, friends that were in uh, the house with him uh, were arrested for resisting arrest and aiding and abetting a fugitive. So all of them are incarcerated and awaiting trial within the next couple of weeks here. So those are your five, oh, dumbasses of the week. Hey, Buck, maybe you should change the medical marijuana to surrender smoke. You know, you might get that through Congress. You know? yeah, it, they won't do anything about it. Sounds good. Sounds good. That's, that, that's, that's what you got to need. <laughs> All right, oh gentlemen. Goodness. Dugan, you are up, my friend. Philly's uh, opening day roster prediction. Yeah, I, I want to take a look at uh, – I mean, we talk about it all the time, the Phillies lineup and our frustration with the way that, that Topper lays out the lineup. So I, I kind of wanted to start there with what with my what I think the Phillies lineup should look like to start the season, and you guys can all chime in with your opinions. And obviously, my lineup does not have Kyle Schwarber leading off. Um, so I'll just go through it real quick. My lineup: I like Turner leading off, Stock batting second, Harper third, three buttons in the four hole, Schwarber five, JT, Boehm, Marsh, and Rojas. That's my nine. I think that, uh, you know, Schwarber leading off, obviously the Phillies have had a lot of success with him leading off. Typically when he jumps out, hits a home run in the first, you know, first inning, first first at-bat of the game, gives them a quick lead. But I think he clogs the bases. I think he, he, you know, with Turner batting behind him, there's no first to third. So you're taking away one of the five tools that Turner has with his speed by having Schwarber in front of him on the base path. You're not, you, you know, you're, you're kind of limiting runs for Turner uh, with a slower runner. So I think with, Rojas in the nine, Turner leading off, kind of speed back-to-back with Stott, a good contact hitter in the two-hole. I think that's going to generate more offense for the Phillies than having Schwarber. And also, Schwarber down in the lineup, he might get the potential to bat more now with men on base and drive in even more runs and hit three-run homers instead of solo home runs. Chris, Um, this is going to surprise you, but I don't listen well. 
Um, you know, my wife says that all the time. She'll say, you know, what do you want for dinner? This, this or that. I always say the first thing. You had me at Schwerber not leading off. As soon as I heard that it was not Schwerber, I was like, that was the best fucking line I've ever seen. I'm in. I'm in. And then, I mean, I think, I, and I, when I look at the roster now, the way, you know, currently constructed, not not taking into account any of the trade talk that we, you know, the buzz we're hearing about, you know, Cleveland's closer or or any of the free agents available. I think you're looking, you know, so there's your nine starters. you got your five starting pitchers, Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, our guy Walker, and uh, Sanchez. Your bench right now, as it's constructed, it's probably Stubbs, Sosa, Cave, and Pache. I think there's your four. So it leaves you with eight bullpen guys. And I think six are already spoken for when you talk about Alvarado, Dominguez, Hoffman, Kirkring, Strom, and Soto. So you really have two spots. And I think I think the way we're constructed right now, it's probably two spots for three guys. Uh, Allard, who they just acquired from the Braves, uh, Brogdon, and John's boy, Dylan Covey. I think those are the three <laughs> guys that most likely will fill those roles as – barring any additional, um, you know, uh, moves made by Dombrowski. I mean, if we get – I know we're going a little long tonight. If we get to my second topic here, I'll talk about a couple guys I think can upgrade the bench that are still out there as free agents and maybe maybe a guy or two uh, on the back end of the bullpen. But I think, the, you know, as the team sits today, I think, you know, the lineup and the roster is pretty set with only maybe one or two jobs possibly open in the back end of the bullpen. Hopefully they'll upgrade the bench because I think that was that was a weak spot for them last year, especially in the playoffs. You didn't have anybody that could come off the bench to pinch hit. I mean, Rojas struggled, and you really didn't have anybody that could come in and, and pinch hit for him. Um, you know, you're stuck with Stubbs. You need a backup catcher. I like Sosa because he's he's versatile, can play short third, second. Um, but the last two guys, Cave and Pache, I'm I'm not sold on. Uh, filling out this bench. Hopefully we can upgrade and hopefully with a right-handed bat with a little, little pop. Anybody got anything on my lineup? Any ideas that you'd you know, like? Thing I, I just got to ask this question. And I mean, there's no like science behind this, but why the hell is it when you put Schwerber in the, in the one hole, they just win. It just seems like last year they just dumped him in there and the bats came alive. Yeah. I, I think, I think for me, part of it is I think Turner struggled so, so much mm. early and, um, they had to move Turner out of lead off spot just because he wasn't doing anything. So I think anything would have been improvement over what they were getting from Turner. Um, but Schwarber does walk. He, he, you know, he's got a real high on base percentage for a guy with, with really, a, you know, a, a below 200 batting average. Uh, mm-hmm. His number, his numbers don't, don't make any sense when you look yeah. at it on paper. Um, that's why I like him down a little bit in the lineup. Cause if you're going to hit 200, I'd rather see him hit three run homers and solo home runs. Yeah, um, and if you can get Harper and, and Stott and a couple other guys on base in front of them, um, turn those turn those into three run home runs. I think I think he'll be more productive, even though he's a hundred RBI guy out of leadoff hole. It just it it, it 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 doesn't make any sense to me that why it works. I just don't like it, and yeah. I I, yeah, I think that there, there's a way you can um, kind of put the lineup out there that will be more effective and give them more opportunity to steal bases and, and, and kind of stop him from clogging up, up the bases when he's on there. No, I like it. I mean, I really think Nebraska's done a nice job focusing defensively. I mean, he's kind of the oh, yeah. that in his interviews, like how important the defense and pitching is. And I think I'd love to see what Rojas is going to do. I just hope we as Philadelphia fans, I mean, if he's 
we don't need him hitting 270 in the regular season. I mean, he's not going to be that guy. I mean, yeah, postseason, we need him picking up, and obviously the big boys got to do their thing. But I think him out there in center field, it just brought the outfield together. Yeah, I mean, getting being able to get Schwarber out of left field and, and Harper really taking over naturally at first base really solidified the, the Phillies' defense. And we talked a lot last year that – the weakest link in that infield might have been Turner. He might have been the weakest glove in that infield. Bohm wow. really had had a great year defensively. Mm-hmm. Stott is on his way to being a gold glove second baseman, and Harper picked up first base like it was his natural position. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you throw another gold glover in Rojas in center, slide Marsh over to left. You know, he was in the running for gold glove when he was with the Angels in left yeah. field. So, and, and Castellanos really improved his def- defense last year too. Really played well in right field. Um, he's a guy I think analytics really helped where to, where to position him. He was in the right spot a lot of times, um, but he played well. So yeah, their defense is way better than it was two years ago. Um, and yeah, that's a key with, 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 you know, their starting pitching is pretty, pretty solid. So if you can make the plays behind, behind them, you know, you're going to be in a lot of games. I'm not sure John could like Kirkering anymore, but Buck, you want to <laughs> say what you put in the, uh, in the side chat. Yeah, so guys, a little fun fact, and you know this dude's got ice in his veins. So Kirkering's uh, father was a force reconnaissance marine. And prior to us going over to SOCOM, force recon was kind of the premier unit you wanted to be in the Marine Corps. I can give you a whole story about us going over there in 2004 and Bush making us do it. But um, when Kirkering was having his success, my buddy called me up because I served with his dad over at Camp Pendleton. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Then they showed his dad on screen. So he was raised right. I'll say that. You know, yeah, nice. Awesome. I love and it. Then, and then you yeah. said you like Rojas. Like, John is going to be your best friend. Uh, yeah, we're going to be best buds. John <laughs> Crook, I dig it, man. Yeah, Very if, cool. If you hate, if you hate Cave and Coffee, I'm moving in. <laughs> uh, oh, man, Dukes, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. I jumped over Chris. Chris, if you want to run in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is going to surprise you guys, but I have feelings, and I'm going to talk about feelings a little bit now. Um, most of my feelings are just being grumpy, uh, angry, uh, and sometimes, you know, hopeful. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about hopeful right now. And it's more in the way of, I, I want to put you in, in a situation. Let's say that you were the number four pitcher on your team. You won 15 games. Your team went to the playoffs. They were in three series, and you did not make the mound. How are you going to feel? Probably not good. Uh, so Taiwan Walker is going to be a problem. I, I can already tell you that now. There's I, He's a professional, but he's going to be a problem. Uh, I agree with him not pitching, and here is why. I'm going to give a few stats uh, and keep those stats short and sweet. The first time through the order, he had a five ERA. The first time through the order, he had a five ERA. That's horrendous. Uh, In the beginning of the year, so the first half of the year, his ERA was 402, which is, it's not great, but the Phillies scored a lot of runs. Uh, The second half of the year, he's been a terrible second half player, uh, 482. Um, But why would you even think of starting someone that had a five ERA? That's like what I expect someone to have maybe the third time through the lineup and why they're taken out. Uh, I don't think Taiwan Walker is going to be on this team long. I think something's going to happen. I think he's got to go. 
because I cannot see him being happy in the clubhouse. And we have a mostly happy clubhouse. I think he's going to be a problem. I think he is a problem. He said all the right things because he's been around a while, but I'm pissed off if I'm Taiwan Walker. And part of it is like, I want to shove it up someone's ass. And part of it is like, I want to shove it up the Phillies ass somewhere else. What do you think guys? So I kind of tried to put myself into, you know, his shoes. I'd be livid. Um, in, in what I, what I mean by that is, is, you know, I even had more wins than who we're calling our aces. Right. Um, and then not to touch and not to sniff, uh, you know, even, a a relief appearance in the playoffs. Um, I think I'm going to disagree with you a tiny bit. I don't know. I think he's going to pitch with a chip on his shoulder a little bit this year. And, um, it's, yet to be seen because it's historic that he doesn't do well in the second half versus the first half, but let's, let's see what he does with a chip on his shoulder a little bit to say, Hey, topper, like you, there's no choice, but to put me into that third role. Like he's going to, I think if it were me, I would try and surpass you know, Ranger as, Hey, that's the third, I'm the third choice, not Ranger. And so we'll see, but that's just my two cents. I think the second half he's going to be playing for the Pirates. <laughs> yeah, I, I um, that's my kind of guess. He's got yeah. to look at himself too. And I mean, if you're if you're any type of ball player, you got to have some self evaluation and know that 15 wins was a mirage. I mean, yeah. you did not pitch yes. well. You were not. You didn't dominate. I mean, how many times were we talking? You know, in the third inning, and we're down four nothing in a, in a Taiwan Walker start. You know, like it, it, first inning, he gives up bombs. The guy did not pitch well. 15 wins is a, you know, is kind of a, it's a nice stat, but it doesn't really tell the whole picture. I mean, yeah. you know, you look at Wheeler, you know, I mean, how about that year DeGrom? He had, he won the Cy Young and he had 10 wins with like a two point, you know, two ERA because the Mets didn't score any runs for him. Where yeah. last year, you know, the Phillies scored almost six runs a game for Walker. You know, you, I could have won 15 games with six runs of run support, you know? Um, so I, I, I agree he should be a little pissed off because he's a he's a professional and and you know and you want you want you want the ball if you you know if you got any any hair on your balls you want the ball especially in the yep. playoffs um, so he should be pissed off but at the same time he also has to realize there's a reason they didn't trust you dude and there's a reason they didn't trust you it's because you didn't you didn't earn that trust you know um, they trusted Ranger, but even to a point, they didn't trust Ranger much. It was, it was four innings, five innings, and they were ready to get him out of the game. Um, you know, and Sanchez was the same way in his one start. You know, I think he went like three innings and they, they got him out. So, you know, there could be a problem three, four, five in this rotation. They look good in the regular season, but if the manager doesn't have confidence in them in the, in the playoffs, you know, Bring somebody else in that you do have confidence in. Is there a free yeah. agent pitcher yeah. that Dombrowski has signed that we've been happy with? Because I can't think of one right now. We hate Aaron Nola. We hate <laughs> Taiwan Walker. We hate Gregory Soto. We we there's no one. Let's we go, Trevor Bauer, Bauer, baby. Let's go, Trevor. We hate it. We hate a Pappy's boy. Yeah, we're not saying that name. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just call him Pap, uh, formerly known as Papa's boy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think um, I'm with I'm with Mike and Chris at the same time on this. I'm with Chris as, and he's going to be pissed off. But I'm with Mike as I think he's going to use it as fuel. He's going to be like, "Look, I had 15 wins," but he's got to look at himself like Dugan said. And it's like, 
I know it was a fraudulent 15 win season. He got bailed out a lot. Like, you know, he would he would let give up some runs and stuff, but then the offense bailed him out in a lot of his games. So that's where that record comes from. So and you, and you couldn't argue look that he was overworked. I mean, they went six yeah. in rotation once they acquired that's Lorenzen. True. So he was getting an extra day every yep. time through through the rotation. So you can't say he was overworked. It's just historically yeah. his career, you look at it, his second halves are terrible. I'm just telling yeah. you how he acted on social media. He doesn't think they were um, because, uh, you know, the offense bailed him out. That's kind of where where my angle was coming from. Yeah, yeah I, I think he's going to um, think he's gonna use it as fuel. He's going to be like, look, I'm going to show you every third or fourth day I'm your guy. And um, when we make the play, you know, postseason, you're going to want me on that roster. I'm going to show you this year. Now, I mean – I thought it was us. I don't know when's the last time a team did that to a starter like that. I haven't seen it myself in a while or maybe ever. I don't know. But I was surprised the topper did it, but I understood it. I wouldn't have pitched him either. I mean, um, now if we make the playoffs and he doesn't use them again, then I think he becomes a problem for the following year. Now, now he's like, F this. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I think he's going to be pissed off and try to, you know, show topper, hey, I'm your guy. You know what I mean? I think they move them if they can, though. I do think they move them. Yeah, that's true. I would love to move that deal. That deal haunts me, man. (laughs) If Mick Abel's pitching well and Christopher Sanchez is pitching well, I'm moving Taiwan Walker to the bullpen immediately. No questions asked. I don't care what what his money is, you know? Definitely. We're we're looking to win now. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I saw something today. They said the Phillies' average age is like 29 Mm-hmm. Years old on that roster, so it, it, it's a win now. It there, you know, that window's, yeah, you know, it's closing. So you sliding shut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. All right, um, Dugan, why don't you double up? Uh, go uh, your second, so that you can uh, bounce when you got to. Yeah. No. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to take a quick look. I mean, everybody knows about the the big free agents that are still out there. Uh, you know, Bellinger being probably the biggest bat that that is still available. I, I wrote down a couple of names of guys that I think will kind of fit that role of a bench player. May not be they're a little bit older. They may not be looking for a starting role right now, but could be a guy that the Phillies keep on their bench. Mostly right-handed power is what I what I wanted to look at. So I'm going to throw a couple of names out there. Um, see what you guys think. Uh, one's kind of a wild card name that I'm going to save to the end. But um, I was looking at you know C.J. Crone. 30, 34 years old, primarily a first baseman. Uh, last year, he split time with the Rockies and Angels, hit 248, 12 homers, 37 RBI, right-handed bat. Um, kind of a versatile guy next, uh, Whit Merrifield. Um, he played with the Blue Jays last year, hit 272, 11 homers, 67 RBI, split time between infield and outfield, so he does have some defensive flexibility. But he's another guy up in his mid-30s, 35. Um, one of the guys I, I kind of have an interest in because I definitely think he doesn't need to be a starter. He may not want to play starter role, um, but he's 36 years old. Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham last year with the Mets and Diamondbacks had 16 homers and hit 256, uh, primarily as an outfielder. Um, another 35-year-old, Adam Duvall with the Red Sox last year, hit 247, 21 homers, 58 RBIs. Um, a guy I always liked, and I always thought he was a guy that should have been on the Phillies' radar as as kind of a fourth outfielder type, Randall Gritchick. 
Um, he hit uh, 267 last year between uh, Rockies and Angels with 16 homers and 44 RBIs. Um, a guy who I think might be a fringe because I think he's going to want to start. Um, Jorge Salar with the uh, was with the Marlins last year, 250 with 36 bombs and 75 primarily as a as a DH. How old um, is he, Chris? He's 32. He's so 32. he's probably 37. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to do the conversion rate when they come yeah. over here, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the one guy that I kind of looked at, and I think you can, you know, he, he, he's been hurt. He's only 30 years old. Um, Austin Meadows, he, uh, he didn't play much the last two years. But when I look at his stats, he's only 30 years old. When I looked at his stats, in the two seasons that he played over 130 games with the Rays, he hit 33 home runs the one year, 27 home runs uh, the next year, 89 RBIs and 106 RBIs. The one year he hit 291. Uh, for his career, he's a 259 hitter with 70 homers in six, six seasons. But those two years where he got significant at-bats, he hit with a lot of power. Um, and I think he's been he's been kind of hurt the last two years in Detroit. Didn't play much. Um, only like 42 games the last two years. So just kind of a, a guy that I want to throw out there just because of his age and the fact that he uh, he had a couple of really good years, an all-star year um, in 19 uh, with 33 homers and a 291 batting average. So just a guy, right-handed hitter with some pop. There's really one relief pitcher that I kind of wrote down uh, he wasn't great last year. Ryan Stanek from Houston. Um, he went three and one last year with a 4.09 ERA. His career RA is like 3.45. And the reason I bring up the bullpen is, you know, we were talking about the roster and the way we're currently set up. I, I really like our bullpen, but I think there's a lot of ifs in that bullpen. Um, you know, Dominguez can be electric, but you never know. He's not consistent enough. And I think he's another guy that, I'm not confident in him because he's not confident in himself. I mean, a guy with, with a 99 fastball seems afraid to throw it. I don't understand. Um, and he's not aggressive with it. When he's on, he's electric. But when he's off, he, he's wild, leaves the ball out over the plate. Um, as good as Jeff Hoffman is, I was a huge fan of what Hoffman did for the Phillies last year. He was out of baseball before the Phillies signed him. Can you count on him having that same type of year this year? Um, I hope he can. I would love to see it because he was fun to watch last year. Um, Kirkring, you know, John, your boy, still young, unproven. You're really going to look to him to have a bigger role in this in this bullpen this year. Um, I think he can handle it. He's got nasty stuff. Um, but I, I would love to see another, and that's, that's why I think the Phillies missed the boat a little bit in free agency this year, adding another dependable arm to this bullpen because you do have – it's a solid bullpen, but there are some question marks – um, that they have going into the season. Can these guys either bounce back like Dominguez or Hoffman? Can he keep it up and can Kirkring continue to develop? Um, I like Strom. Soto, I mean, when he throws strikes, he's kind of got, he's got that Alvarado in him. When he throws strikes, he's dominant. Um, but he looks like Alvarado from a couple of years ago when, when he can't throw a strike, he's all over the place and, and very hittable. Um, yeah, I still don't see a, a true closer um in this bullpen right now um which i know we've talked about at length that you need to just name a closer and that's your guy you know the ninth inning every game and i don't see that guy here yet maybe 
maybe a Kirkman develops into that, or they just hand it to Alvarado and he, he takes the job and runs with it. Um, but who knows, you know, that trade talk is out there for the Indian closer. Um, you know, my, my, you know, Justin Crawford, great prospects are suspects. That's my, that's my philosophy. I'd rather have a proven guy, uh, especially on a team like the Phillies who's in, in win now mode. Um, but those are a couple of names I threw out. I don't know if you guys have any, uh, anybody you want to add or any, any, uh, any one of those names that you liked, uh, caught your attention or, uh, I, I got one Dugan. Right-handed batter, 36 years old, hit 271, 33 homers, 103 RBIs, 117 hits last year. J.D. Martinez. Why do we not add yeah. him yeah. for a right-handed yeah. bat? Yeah, he's I was probably the guys that could play the outfield a little bit because he he's primarily been a DH for the last few years. Yeah, um, yeah but I was looking for. Why don't we add up. him like a like a stairs guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, any, any of these guys the I mentioned, right I think we better than Jake Cave. <laughs> you know, <so>. Right. <laughs> I mean, so I, I just, guy, yeah, this, who you got, John? A guy, a guy I was, I'm surprised they're not taking a look at, like, um, he, and he had a pretty good year at the plate last year, a little pop in the home run section anyway, but he's always a decent average hitter, a great defender. I don't know why we're not looking at Michael A. Taylor, man. He's still out there. I don't know. I mean, I know is he's he, a little is older. He kind of, is he kind of in the Rojas, Pache type player? You know, you know, like I think I we already have a couple. Of... He has a little better pop. He has a little bit better bat than them. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, he he might be on the tail end of that realm. But I mean, yeah, I, I was I, look, I had I him. I looked a... at him. I think he's thirty-two Taylor. I was looking at him thirty-two. Yeah, too. yeah. So it's um, not too. I thought he was kind of like the same kind of. Same kind of guy that we already have. Yeah, I could, of, you know, I could, I could see that. But um, a reliever, and it's not a free agent. But and I touched on this a couple, a uh, couple uh, episodes ago. I think um, I think if Andrew Baker keeps doing his thing at Reading, you might see him up by the end of the year, and yeah, you know, yeah. send someone, uh, whoever's struggling, they might send them. Whoever has an option, they might send him down. Yeah. I really like the kid. Um, he. He had a great year. He had a great uh, Arizona Fall League, as I, you know, touched on when when that was wrapping up. So I mean, I that's my opinion. I'm hoping to see him by the end of the year uh, or sooner. If you know, like I said, if someone's struggling. But another guy I thought about as a trade target with all the talk about the Cleveland closer today was uh, Bedard over in Pittsburgh because they just signed Chapman. So maybe it makes Bedard expendable. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he, I think he was an all-star last year. and uh, He's good. I love yeah. I love him. Yeah. So, and he may not, he might not cost you Justin Crawford, you know. So, um, it'd be interesting if the Phillies looked that direction. Well, that's all I got, fellas. Oh, man. All right, cool. Good work. So, I think we'll go backwards one then and draw in spring training, non-roster okay. invitees. Yes, I saw the list of... Uh, I saw the list of non-roster invitees of spring training, and I figured I'd just uh, break them down real quick. Now I, I went Ray Deddy on this with my uh, copybook, but I won't. I'll just do the cliff notes of the important <laughs> shit. <laughs> I don't want to bore everybody because there's maybe six or seven of these guys, so I'll make it quick. Um, first one up on deck, Mick Abel, twenty-three starts and appearances last year. One his last one when he got called up to Lehigh Valley. 413 ERA across the season, 113 innings pitched, 132 Ks. Um, he had a 
117 ERA and 23 innings pitch and 23 Ks in his last four games already before getting caught up for that last game. So he's he kind of caught fire right at the end there, like his last few starts. Um, he's got a good sinking fastball and a, cur- a curve. That's his primary primary pitches. But he was working on his changeup in the offseason, so we'll see how that looks. Hopefully uh, he developed that better so he has a little better arsenal. Um, my prediction is that he starts at Lehigh Valley unless he blows them, unless he blows the doors off their minds and they want to do a six-man rotation. I see him starting at Lehigh Valley, maybe coming up later in the year. You know, getting getting promoted, maybe do a six-man later in the year or whatnot. Or if they want to move Walker to the pen, you know, like we were talking about before. But that's where I see him. Uh, third baseman and outfielder Matt Kroon. 326, 399, 526 slash line last year. 11 home runs, 58 RBIs between uh, Redding and Lehigh Valley. Played very well in the uh, Arizona Fall League when I was covering him. Uh, my prediction with him is he'll be he'll be given an opportunity to show what he's got in camp. But uh, if not a bench piece, he's going to be in Lehigh Valley for you know the start of the year. And uh, next guy up. First baseman and outfielder Carlos De Aro Cruz, my guy. Uh, love this dude. You got a lot of guys. Yeah, I just I see some like this dude's a beast, man. I think he's going to work out better at first base. But I mean, hey, if they could put him in the outfield, that's even better because we're kind of clogged the first base for the next you know decade. John loves guys. <laughs> you heard it here. Oh, first. oh hey, you know. oh hey, that's cool. Unless he's, in, unless he's in Boston. homeless chicks in Boston. Uh, <laughs> exactly. uh, <laughs> He had a two two fifty nine three forty four four fifty four slash line last year. Twenty four dangers, sixty seven RBIs. Led the Eastern League with one hundred thirty two hits. Can track fly balls very well in the outfield, but he's picked up first base even better than the outfield. So I mean, we'll see what's going there. Nine ninety one fielding percentage. My prediction is he gets bumped up out of camp to uh, Lehigh Valley, but maybe he starts in Reading and then gets bumped up. But I could see him in Lehigh Valley at some point. Isn't he like 6'7", John? He's a tall dude, Like 6'7", 6'8". Yeah, he's a big dude. Maybe he can play for Embiid, you know? The Sixers need a big You're not overthrowing him at first base. Like, he could just go, (laughs) (laughs) do the nest heap plunge. I think Boehm could. Yeah, Boehm's a big dude. Maybe. Yeah. Then you got uh, McGarry, who um, early season entry last year and really had a tough year last year and struggled. Which he was supposed to be one of the up and comers, but um, he combined, combined between uh, he had sixty innings pitched, six ERA, which like, he, like I said, he struggled a lot. He they get they actually shut him down in late August for the rest of the year for his inability to throw strikes. So my prediction is he's just just gonna stay right where he's at. Yeah, his rub, his rub, John was he was walking everybody, and that's yeah, a lot of walks. CRA balloon. I think I wrote it down. Let me see. Hold on. Yeah, like fifty walks in like the limited time he 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 was active last year. Like it's so if he gets that under control, he just needs you know a couple of things. You know, he needs to develop. He needs a sports psychologist, and and he needs experience, and he should be okay. Definitely. Just a couple more. Need some surrender smoke. Yeah, surrender. <laughs> hey, smoke some surrender. Possibly. Smoke. We we know a Tom, guy now. Calm his ass down. So he can <laughs> that doesn't strike, that doesn't know? mean surrender runs though. <laughs> right. Let's get that clear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no meatballs. 
next guy up, he got the right-handed reliever, Tyler McKay. In Reading last year, he was 254 ERA in 25 appearances. Six of eight uh, save, saves converted. Then in Lehigh Valley, he played uh, 23 games, 27 in, uh, innings pitch, and 267 ERA. Uh, in 2022 spring training, he converted from a starter to a reliever. He's got a nice slider and an advanced changeup to go along with a strong cutter. Uh, I think uh, if he wows him in camp, I mean, maybe he earned, uh, he's bounced around a little. And um, maybe he wows him in camp, earns a spot, but I could see like Lehigh Valley for him. And uh, next name. This is going to be very short. Scott Gingry, who gives a fuck? Slap nuts. Uh, <laughs> Slap nuts. <laughs> I mean, where where are we going to go with that? You know what I mean? Lehigh Valley, of course, and then the so, Hawks. And he'll be a future Oakland A next year. Johnny, <laughs> I read an article today where it, the guy, whoever wrote it, wanted him to play center field. And after the first paragraph, I just deleted the article. It was the dumbest yeah, thing yeah, I've ever read. Yeah. I had a like, few in me when I wrote it. Like, you know, <laughs> sorry, guys. Like, obviously, they were like 10 percenters. It was not you. Scotty slap uh, nuts. This next guy, this, I got two guys left, and I'll wrap it up. Uh, next guy, Ryan Burr. He's bounced around the minors uh, in between the minors and the Chicago White Sox since 2015. So he's been around the minors. And ended up a Durham last year. Where he went two and one, three and nine ERA. Uh, my prediction for him is, you know, again, Lehigh Valley, probably. And Aramis Garcia, he's bounced around all the he's bounced around in the minors since 2014. So he's another journeyman. You know, he landed at Lakewood in 2023. And also he got a little bit of time at uh, Lehigh Valley last year, but um uh, I don't know how he jumped from uh, Lakewood to Lehigh Valley, but I mean, I get, I get it. Redding's kind of a shithole, but <laughs> I really don't know. Uh, I'm really not familiar with the guy too much, but uh, I'm thinking either Redding or you know, probably Redding, I would think, or Lehigh Valley. So it's, we're we actually have a good problem. We have actually we actually have a lot of catchers in the pipeline right now. I mean, I got a couple of favorites, but I mean, it's like a good problem to have. It's just you got to weed out and figure out who's the better ones and who's not. But uh, real quick, uh, after I uh, after those invites, I just wanted to say congratulations to the Adelaide Giants for winning the Australian Baseball League Championship. Um, some of our blue claws were on that squad, so uh, I watched it. It was pretty exciting. It was a very long night, but I finally went to bed at seven thirty in the morning. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just wanted to say hats off to them. That's all I got. Thanks, Johnny. <clears throat> Chris, you want to take us home? Yeah, I, I just want to kind of talk to Brian one more time and kind of, <laughs> you know, again, say thank you uh, for coming on. But I, I wanted to ask you another question, baseball related. Uh, you yep. can see how nuts we are about baseball. Love it. Uh, what is your 2008 story? You know, where were you when it happens? And we know what we're saying when that when we meet. You know, I just wanted to give you, you know, we love hearing that from other people. And I was just curious where you were. Yeah. You so, watched it with and, you know, were you here? Were you overseas? What, what were you doing? Sure. Yeah. 2008. I uh, during that time I was stateside. So I was actually um, over in Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. And we were doing like a field exercise and um, we're out. We got all the tents and all that junk's going on. 
And, you know, obviously we know like the game got delayed and then we had the last part going on that one night. And I'm just kind of sitting there. My operations officer is a huge Red Sox fan, looks at me. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, you know, whatever. And he's like, Phillies are playing tonight. I'm like, yeah, they are. And I'm supposed to spend a night out there in the woods. And he's like, well, get out of here and go watch him. And I'm like, oh done. So I just like ran out, got my truck, went back. And it was just me. I had a bar in my old house. I was just sitting by the bar, just talking to people back in Philly and just watching it. And then, you know, for me, whenever like championships or stuff like that, I'm not like a guy who gets up and freaks out. It was just kind of stunned. Like, oh, my God, we got a world title finally. Like, you know, with the Flyers all in the 80s and 90s, they might pop one. Eagles doing what they were doing. But to see that first one, that was just that was huge. And so this was literally me by myself in my house. Just super happy. Ryan, when you told me the story of like, you're out in the woods at Camp Lejeune, like all I could think of was Forrest Gump and like, you know, the, you know, Jenny saying run Forrest run or like when he's running out of the woods, grabbing people or like when he's running for Alabama, <laughs> run, Ryan, run. That's what I would be doing. Like, I don't have to be here. Oh my yeah. God. See I was hauling ass. So it wasn't just for the Phillies, man. They were letting me out of the field. I'm like, yeah, I'm gone. Like, I'll, I'll go watch a church service or something at that point. But, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah that was incredible so i was just so glad to be oh, back and cool. enjoy that and hopefully one day i'll be in philly to actually enjoy a parade one day uh that'd be awesome that would be awesome all right so i will take us home now uh there haven't been enough of these said today so i'm gonna start off you know my kind of goodbye with fuck the mets i'm gonna add a few more carters that maybe you're not used to fuck gary carter fuck joe carter Fuck Aaron Carter and fuck Jimmy Carter uh, for no reasons other than, you know, Carter's have kind of, you know, after Joe did that. So thanks for everyone uh, for being on. Thanks for staying on and listening and watching. So uh, we'll be on in two weeks again. Uh, and, you know, Mike, I'll let you uh, kind of say anything you had at the end there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks a lot, Brian, for coming on and telling your story. And thanks a lot for allowing us to partner up with you. And um, we're really looking forward to the May, May 18th game. Um, remember, guys, 3.30, we're going to do tailgate. Uh, that should be live now. Um, check that out. Check out our website for any merchandise and uh, make sure you check into the Salute to Service uh, shirts as well. And um, I will say there have not been many, but um, there are one, two, three, fuck the Mets in the comments. So thank you guys. We appreciate you. Appreciate and, that. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. All right. Good night, everyone. Thank hey, you. Everybody. Night. All right. Bye. Good night.